You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. Axe Church is located in Camas, Washington. You can find out more about us at www.axecamas.org. Check out our other sermons and podcasts. You can find them on iTunes Podcasts, SoundCloud, and our website. This sermon was preached by Pastor David Robinson, who is the teaching pastor at Axe Church. We hope you enjoy the sermon, and we hope that the Lord blesses you through it. Good morning. We are doing something a little bit different today. One of the things that I've realized, and I think the Lord is showing me, is that while it is fun to talk about dualisms, really fun, and it's fun to walk through theology and teaching and history and all those things, if it doesn't have an anchor point in reality and in the lives of believers, it's hard for us to uh, get it into our heart in a way that's effective and transformative. And so what I've realized is that instead of preaching for an hour um, on a number of things, which we'll be back to that next week, but this week, instead of doing that, um, I thought, why not bring up um, a family, a a couple, who can help us. By the way, kids, if you haven't left to ask kids, off you go. Go to ask kids. Um, Why not bring up a family who I can talk through some things with and let you guys see how the Lord has worked you know, as we're walking through Paul's letters, it's not just abstract. It's not just out there. It's about real lives and real people and real change and real transformation and real sin and real uh, forgiveness and real redemption and all of those kinds of things. And I wanted you to see that. And so I'm going to bring up a couple today and a couple things I want to say before I do. One, I want you guys to realize how much courage and faith in God it takes to come to talk to me at all, okay, just as a general thing, but to do it in front of all of you and to talk about the things that we're going to talk about today. And so what I'm going to ask is that you're very sensitive to the fact that, that, there's, that the people who are coming up here today are going to be um, really opening their hearts up in a way that's very vulnerable in front of a lot of people. And so obviously I already know you guys are going to be loving and, and respectful and whatever, but I just want you to keep that in mind. Be praying for, for them as they do this because the whole reason that they're doing this is not for them, I promise. It's for you. And it's for, it's for Christ. It's their love for Christ and his love for you that's driving them to want to have their story have an eternal significance in your life. And so we're going to talk about some things that they've had to walk through in life, and, and we're going to talk about stuff that they've, they've had to deal with. We're going to talk about their own sin. We're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. And I want you guys to, to let the Lord speak to you about how he can, as he has for this couple, as he has for this family, how he can come in and redeem the things in your life. And so I'm going to ask Pat and Jen McKeever to come on up. Give them a big hand. Good luck making that stage with those heels on, Jen. Look at that. There's like no thing at all. We'll see how she's on the way down. Um, Graceful. Graceful, yes. Um, So we are going to, I'm going to pray first, and then we're going to get into this. So Father, I just pray that you would uh, be with our church this morning as we're kind of sitting here as a family, walking through um, some real vulnerabilities and, and some real uh, difficult stuff to talk about, Lord. And I pray you'd give Pat and Jen the strength, Lord, that you'd protect them spiritually, physically, and, and in every other way through this, um, that we can hear from them the things that you want to use, where you take the pieces that are broken and work all things together for good as you tell us in Romans 8, and, and we just, we want to see that, and we want to see how that's worked in others' lives, and we want to have, we want it to, to give hope to those of us who are struggling. In your name, amen. 
So some of you know Pat and Jen. Um, some of you don't. This is them. Um, th- that one's Pat and that one's Jen. Um, so just in case. I just want to make sure we're clear. We're starting out in the right spot. Um, so I want, to, I want to talk through, Jennifer, I'm going to start with you. And I just want to kind of talk through your upbringing and, and give the people kind of an idea of who you are and sort of what you've dealt with. You know, we talked yesterday. You told me that your dad uh, had been married, what, three times and then got married, uh, had some kids from these other marriages. And he and your mom got married and they were wanting a child. And that was you. Right. And I get told often that, especially when I'm in trouble, that I tried for years to have you. Yeah. So I get the mom shame yeah. a lot. Um, a lot of mom shame going yeah. on there. Yeah, that may but, be a theme. We'll see. Um, so you were, the, you were the special child that was born to your dad and mom, and then you have a sister also that, was, yeah. that came after. Total middle child complex in case there's any middle children out right. there. Uh, right here. So <laughs> I think we're going to bring that up right now. Um, <laughs> So you had a couple brothers, Michael and John, that you were close to, um, and they were older than you, and when you were in the third grade, um, your brother Michael was 20, and he died in an accident, in a construction accident. Um, talk to us about how, how that affected you and how that affected your family and how it made you feel. So our family um, was your typical blue-collar redneck family, <laughs> like, we hunted together, we fished together, we fought together, um, and it was a very big, blended family. Like, we're talking five kids, three boys, two girls, uh, two of the boys which actually lived with us. My mom actually raised my brother Michael from age five. So I didn't realize that Michael wasn't my mom's son probably until I don't know when. Like, that's how close our family was. I didn't realize that we were a blended family. It didn't didn't ever be, it wasn't ever a, divide, a divide, dividing factor, I guess. Um, but when Michael passed, it was really hard for us because I was in third grade. Um, my sister's three years younger than me, so she, you know, was a toddler. Um, and I remember it was hard because he had left the home after he graduated high school and moved with his half-sister in Nevada, so he was states away from us, and we hadn't seen him um, the whole time he had been gone, and when my parents got that call, it was, what I remember was feeling like my life stopped, like I stopped being one in five, and they were gone, and now I was trying to still be me, but they were so protective of my sister and I after that point, because I think when you lose a child, it uproots your whole life. Um, and because my sister was the baby, I, th- I think my parents did the best that they could do and, and um, invested what little that they have had left um, during the grieving process in her. And I think they just thought, she'll be okay. Like, she's fine. This isn't a big deal. We're shielding them from this. But it was 13 years of court battles over this case. Um, Obviously, it was a work-related accident. And um, so I don't think my family ever grieved fully. Um, And I most certainly didn't grieve for many, many years just because I I don't think I knew how. Um, Yeah. You talked talked about sort of like it felt like you... And, and the rest of your family were sort of living in the shadow of Michael's yeah. death. Yeah. Um, 
at this time, you all were not attending church. There wasn't, there wasn't a religious upbringing that was happening, but you said sort of God was sort of used as a tactic, yeah. like God's always watching you, so don't be naughty. That was kind of the... Yeah, I think my parents both, um, my dad was baptized Catholic at a really young age, but grew up in a really broken home. Um, and so their church was, we believe in God and we're good people and cousin is getting married in the church. And so we're going to sit and stand and sit and stand like 5 million times during a wedding. Like that was his upbringing of church. Um, so what little scripture he was introduced to or church was really in the context of either a wedding or a funeral for him. And then my mom grew up in a family who her parents were really heavily involved in the church or what she says, like forced into the church setting at a really young age. And so she always wanted my sister and I and my brothers to know God, um, but she didn't know Jesus. And I think thought of him more as a historical figure that maybe existed or didn't exist. So she was never deterrent of us searching for faith. Um, but she wasn't taking us to church. Like, um, and yeah, it became, as we became teenagers, it was more of a scare tactic. Like, God is watching you. Like, yeah. don't have sex. Yeah. Like, that was kind of my upbringing. So. Because that's what God wants to watch. Right. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, during and after third grade, and during the years from third grade to seventh grade, you actually had quite a few losses in your family, grandparents and whatever. And then in seventh grade, you lost another brother. Yeah. Uh, talk to us about that. So um, my brother, John, I, like I was very close to Michael. Uh, he was the middle of the three sons, or the last of the three sons, so the youngest um, and, and the middle child. And him and I were very close just because we were about 10 years apart. So he was my idol growing up, like... Michael's so cool. I can't wait to be in high school. He's just a neat dude. Like, and always kind of took my sister and I under his wing and were really protective. And then John was like, like, I think we're 14 years different, so it wasn't that big of an extreme, but he was the one that was like already married and off doing his own thing. So he'd be the one that like him and his wife would babysit my sister and I when my parents had something to do. So I thought of him more as another like parental figure, I guess. Um, and when he passed, I think I've blocked out a lot of that just because he died of diabetes complications. And at the time, he wasn't taking care of himself, and he was in and out of the hospital several times. Um, and the last thing that I said to my brother, um, I actually ended up going back into the hospital room after my parents left because I said I forgot something or I needed to give him a hug or something. And I went back in, and I remember like looking at him and, and like I yelled at him and I said, I will not go to your funeral. You will not die. You will not do this to mom and dad and you won't do it to me. And I think that's really hard for me now because I wish I would have just said, I love you. And I know this is hard, but in seventh grade, you don't know how to say that. You're just angry. You're angry at God because Everything you do in your life is a direct reflection of the mistakes of your brother. The fact that God took them away, the fact that they're not here, the fact that we're spending another holiday without them, 
but I'm still alive, and I'm still here, and I'm your child. And so when John passed, I, I remember the day very clearly walking up the road from the bus stop, and my neighbor friend um, was walking with me, and his mom had drove up past us and had made a comment about, wow, there's a lot of cars at your house. What's going on? And I said, oh, probably someone died. And I walked through the door, and there was a grief counselor that had come from one of the hospitals to t notify next to kin. And us, at almost 13 years old, at 12 years old, I remember looking and going, I don't want to talk to you. Like, this isn't real. This isn't happening. Like, I'm not doing this again. And I watched my dad sit on the floor and cry, and I remember watching my mom, like, just not know what to do, and she just told the lady, let her go. Just let her go. And so, a lot of my life, I felt like I was taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. And you, you sort of said that, although your parents kind of, God was the boogeyman in the sky who was watching you, that you sort of had this sense about Jesus that you didn't see him like that, that he seemed like he was a loving person, more comfort, that God was more comforting in the way that you saw him, even though that's not the way that he was expressed to you. Absolutely. And that you were, when you were at that age, right, junior high school, that you were actually, you would talk to God. You weren't a believer yet, but you would talk to God, kind of, why, why is this happening? Why do I deserve that? Talk us through kind of where you were mentally at that time. I mean, I think like any junior high, high schooler, I spent a lot of time in my room, <laughs> just not wanting to talk to my parents, not wanting to talk to my, you know, pesky little sister, not wanting to be a part of the family unit. I think that's a lot more common than not. Um, and so in those moments of feeling completely isolated, um, not only because my parents are going through their grief process, but also I just don't want to acknowledge the fact that this is my life. Um, I remember just sitting for what seemed like hours at night, just crying out like, God, if you're real and you're loving, like, please stop this cycle of, like, continual pain. Like, I can't take the pain. I can't watch my parents cry. I can't. I just can't. Mm -hmm. Can't do it anymore. Now, the time you, you attended some churches from time to time or whatever, and there was a young life group at your school, but something really interesting, something I, that for the younger people here and the older people here, I think this is worth hearing. You said that you were sort of jealous of all these church kids that you saw because they seemed so happy. Yeah. I remember in high school, um, it was kind of at the height of, um, like, evangelical Christians in high schools um, talking to the, the different youth and inviting them to big, like, extra, what I thought were, like, parties. And I was like, oh, this is cool. They're having, like, this, this night or this event or whatever. And my mom's like, you're not going, your boyfriend's going. Like, I know it's just an excuse for you to go hang out with your boyfriend, so you're not going. But I remember thinking, like, all these kids were just so happy and seemed like they had so much love from their family and, like, had it together and had, like, hope. Like, I'd never seen that before in my life. Um, and they all clicked together. Like, they had their little, like, group of people. And I knew them. I was acquaintances, and they were very nice to me but none of them ever invited me. Like, and I remember thinking like, man, I really wish I could be a part of that. Like, it would be so nice to have that in my life is 
just one person inviting me to it. And even if I said, like, I couldn't go, keep inviting me because I think my mom would have gotten annoyed with how many times my friends were asking me to something and then just been like, go, like, fine, have fun. Like, and that's what I, like, really cried out to God for is just a connection to something that was happy. Yeah. The lesson being annoy your friends' moms until <laughs> they let their kids go to youth group. Um, I think there's something to that that when you were telling me that just struck me as like how many of us are nervous or, or we feel uncomfortable saying anything because it's like they're going to reject me or you're putting yourself out there. And yet on the other side of that, you know, that Satan has worked it so that he makes us afraid to speak about the Lord while right on the other side of it, there are people who are desperately wanting us to say something yeah. to them because they, because they want that hope, but they're not going to come in without an invitation. Um, okay, we, uh, we've been going through 1 Thessalonians, um, and the last couple of weeks we've been dealing with a passage where God's really sort of talking to the Thessalonian church and saying, look, you need to abstain from sexual immorality. And we've been sort of walking through why, you know, why people get into that and what their mindset is when they, when they do. And obviously we have a culture that's very sexually broken. And so I want to talk at this time in your life, high school and whatever, um, your, your views towards sexuality, your views towards what you, what you thought it was uh, about or, 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 you know, I know that you had, we, we had your mom who would say, God's watching you, and, and your grandma too, right? Yeah, it was really awkward. I, that was like about 16, I think, was, had my first high school boyfriend, and we were obviously both virgins, monogamous, in a relationship, and she's just like, you can't have sex because grandma and God are watching. And it was like... What, what was wrong with your grandma? That It, it just like petrified me, like... Ew, first off, and like, and second, Grandma like, was creepy as, as heck, man. <laughs> Later on, I was just like, well, if she's watching, she's a freak. Like, yeah, grandma. Like, sorry, Grandma. <laughs> grandma needs to chill on that. That's, sorry about that. Because that's Shut what we're all down. waiting for in heaven is to watch our grandchildren mess up. Yeah, that's... Procreate, or yeah, and yeah. do that. Okay. Gross. Obviously, but that's where it was, right? And so, but you talked about... Uh, you, like many others, you know, you, you still, you found that getting attention sexually was something. Talk, talk to me about how that, how that was for you. So growing up in the family that I grew up in, I, I think that it was known that, let me rephrase this. Um, how to best say this? Okay. So I was around a lot of men in my life that were friends of our family um, that once I reached a certain age were very inappropriate, like would say things like, wow, can't wait for her to be 18 or those kind of things, just really dirty, inappropriate. But I never in my mind thought that that was wrong, like didn't, didn't cross my path that like there were men that didn't think of young women in that way. Um, so from a really young age, I think I knew my body was a weapon. Like I could narrate my path with men. Like if I was this way, then I would get this. Um, and really it was, I just didn't wanna be at home. Like I didn't wanna be around the constant fighting, the constant drama, the sadness, the, the bickering. Um, so I did things 
to get out of the house. Like, um, and I saw my worth and value in other people mm-hmm. and not in Jesus. I didn't, I didn't know him. And so, you know, you talked about basically you would flaunt your body in certain ways because it gave you sort of safety, comfort, and control over your circumstances because you knew men were somewhat predictable, right? And so right. I show you this, you act in this particular way. Right. Um, but it also caused you, you know, working out all the time, eating disorders. I mean, talk through that a little bit. Absolutely. I think like freshman year, I, I went to a high school that was very, um, this is like the height of the belly shirt and low rise jeans movement. And so in my, my mind, I was like, my stomach will never be flat enough. Like, so I worked out three times a day. I ended up, um, having bulimia. Um, I, I tried to do the anorexia thing, but I like food. Um, so that didn't work out as much, (laughs) but yeah, for a long time, even up until I met my husband, um, and had my daughter, like I still struggled with binging and purging. Mm -hmm. So it was a long time. Um, yeah, it was just really hard to, but I still wasn't sexually active. That was the thing. Like I was more of a tease. So I got what I wanted and then guys were like, oh, see you later. Like, so it was just lonely. It was a really lonely time in my life. Like I never felt connected with anybody truly. And and obviously you're longing for that. Yeah. And at some point you do end up um, losing your virginity, having sex, and the experience wasn't what you had expected from it. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, two virgin kids that don't know anything and don't have parents that really talk about it. And we're just like, well, we've been dating for three years and we're 18. Like, we should probably get this out of the way. Um, so romantic. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Girls, you are worth more. Like, you are so, so worth more than that. Um, but that, I mean, once that happened, then it was like taking a piece of me away a that, like, the fear was gone. And that's where I said it was like, well, sorry, Grandma. Like, and then, I mean, that expanded into, like, other men um, that my family probably should have protected me from and said, like, no, you're not going to do this and, like, ground me. But at this point, I'm 18, so what are they going to do? Yeah. Um, and I was still living at home. And so I ended up in a relationship for three years with an adult man. I'm 18, and he was in his 30s. And so um, that really skewed going in into my marriage, what it looked like to have a loving man that would take care of me. Mm-hmm. He wasn't a bad person. He just was broken, and he really projected a lot of those broken pieces onto me. Yeah. But, and we're, I'm going to stop your story because we're going to jump on a past story. Then you met Pat, and we'll leave that there because I want to I walk through some things with Pat. Um, Pat, you, you also kind of started out with a family that had some loss. It was a blended family also, but your father had lost a, a son to drowning at some point. Is that... Yeah, I... Is this on? Yeah. Okay. So I come from a blended family as well. I have two older brothers and an older sister. Me and my brother share the same dad. Me and my sister share the same mom, and I'm the only kid with both at home, um, which puts some animosity amongst us brothers and sisters a little bit to an extent, but... My dad, he had lost what would have been the brother that was closest to my age, the youngest of the three of them, um, to a drowning accident at like between three and four years old. Um, And when that happened, his wife at the time 
went off the rails. And dad ended up taking the two boys and moving from Minnesota out to Washington, which is where he met my mom. And then his ex-wife followed not too long after that and to be with her sons. And so when my dad and mom got together, um, she would tell my older brothers, that woman's the reason why we can't be a family, that you know she's ruining our family, she's breaking us up. And then when I came along, she would tell them, he's just there to replace your actual brother, he's not your actual brother. Um, so my brothers, for years, I was the one who replaced their actual brother, so I was not worthy of being their brother. Um, and got lots, you know, more than your normal sibling, you know, bullying, you know, rivalry. Um, you know, they were real rough on me. And I never made the grade with them in any way. Still to this day, we still have animosity between us. Um, but they just, you know, that was our family. And so, and my dad ended up adopting my sister um, later on. And, you know, but where we lived at, we were in eastern Washington, about an hour and a half north of Spokane, and we lived in the middle of nowhere. Um, we lived on a horse farm, and we raised and trained horses, and, you know, our closest neighbor was three miles away. So we were all... And how did you get to the closest neighbor's house if you wanted to go see him? You saddled up your horse and you rode to your, your buddy's <laughs> house, you know what I mean? With a gun on the back of the saddle. Yep. I, at eight years old, I could saddle my own horse and grab my 38 and take off to my friend's house. That was just the... The lifestyle we have. Ram tough. Right. Girls, find yourself a cowboy. Yeah, that's right. But, you know, that was just the life we had. You know, it was a different way to grow up. And, you know, there were times where we were real close, um, us brothers and sisters. And then other times, you know, when the boys come back from a visit for the next, you know, two, three months, you know, it was, I was that guy again. Um... So, you know, that was a hard thing to deal with growing up and, you know, feeling like the odd one out in your own family, being, you know, the kid who has both parents at home, your siblings having some jealousy about that. Um, so, you know, it was just, it was rough. And then we moved in 94. We, you know, dad got done training horses and wanted to do something new. So we moved from up by Spokane down here to Washougal and... At that time, my brother had graduated high school, so he was out of the house, so it was just me and my sister. And we became real close after that point when it was just the two of us. Um, but my parents at that time were doing uh, at-home business, and it was all business all the time. And so we were kind of had to fend for ourselves and do our, you know, do our own thing. Our parents were always there for sporting events or anything like that, but... We knew if the lights were on in the office and they were at their desks, you don't go out knocking on the door. You figure it out for yourself. Yeah. What did you think? I mean, I know, I know that your mom has some religious background and so does your dad, but y'all didn't go to church. What were your thoughts about God? You know, you, you've got, you know, loving parents, but your brothers were pretty horrible to you. I mean, I think you were putting it pretty lightly here. They weren't, they weren't nice to you. Um, it was a tough, a tough life for you in a lot of ways. What were your thoughts towards God, or what did you think about God, or did you think about God at that age? Well, I, my dad, he was, you know, he grew up in Minnesota in a Catholic church in a large, large Catholic family. He's one of 12 kids, hmm. 
And, you know, he had his view on things that I kind of took his view of, you know, he was very de-churched um, at a young age. I mean, as soon as he got out of school, he was, you know, had had some horrible experiences while he was in school. Um, so, you know, I took on that view of it. And to me, it was, you know, what those other people do, you know, something that people go and do on Sunday. I didn't have like a relationship. I didn't really look for a relationship with Jesus because I didn't know him. I didn't know about him or know what there was there. Yeah. What about, I'm going to ask you the same thing I asked, I asked uh, Jennifer. Um, what were your views towards or what did you grow up thinking about sex? I mean, you probably wore the belly shirt like she was talking yeah. about. In the <laughs> um, There's football pictures. But it was under the shoulder pads. It was yeah, under that's the right. shoulder that's pads. Right. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, I grew up, you know, my... My dad instilled a lot of, you know, you know, your woman is your queen. And so, you know, the respect was very much there, but it was also, you know, that was what boys talk about, you know, and what mm -hmm. boys think about. And everything I thought I knew was wrong. Um, you know, you know, what advice I did get probably wasn't the greatest. Yeah. Um, you know, I never had the you know, the, like Jenny with the, you know, grandma's watching, that was never one of mine. It was... Your grandma wasn't as creepy as Jen's Right, grandma. yeah. Thank um, you, Jesus. Different yeah. family. Um, but it was, you know, at that point in time, when I was going through high school, it was very much kind of the peak of... Or not the peak, it's still going on really bad now, but, you know, it was... I had had friends who had gotten in trouble from having sex with a girl who was one or two years younger than them, um, and then the, her parents found out and, you know, they ended up going to jail or having a record or all kinds of different things. And so I was kind of taken back on the sex part of it. You know, I was doing other things that I shouldn't have been doing, but, you know, I kind of held back on that because of fear, you know, not only fear of getting a girl pregnant at 17, 18, you know, I waited till 19, so I did a lot better. Um, <laughs> Good God. <laughs> but I was graduated by then. Yeah. Um, you were legal. Yeah, right. Um, but, you know, I, was, I, I didn't have a good view of it. You know, what I thought of it was not at all what it is. It's yeah. not what a relationship is. So you're working hard because you're, you're a hard-working, ram-tough man. You have a job. <laughs> Going to school, you're, you, you're top-end football player, the Washington State Cougars. Not the Huskies, That's, no one's perfect, but the Cougars wanted you. And, uh, and then you blew your knee out, all that kind of went down. Then you meet this crazy girl. Um, and tell us, Jennifer, you tell us the story, because you tell it more funny, um, of the night that you meet Pat uh, and, and, the, and he's climbing up the side of the house. Tell me about that. Um, so, <laughs> at the... Leave out the parts that the kids shouldn't hear. Uh, right, kids, sorry. <laughs> Um, so at this time, like, my family had moved out to Washougal. We grew up in Hazeldale. Um, go Hazeldale. Um, moved out to Washougal and transferred jobs. I was uh, working at Bymart at the time, um, and I had a friend there that kept trying to get me to go out after work. And he was 21, and I was 20, and I was like, you can buy a beer. Cool. Let's go hang out. So that's kind of where I was going in my life. Like, I just need another out. My... Adult boyfriend is 
maybe back with his ex-wife at the time, maybe not. So I was like the back burner girl at that point in my life. And I was just like, I need out. I need something different. Um, so one night we decided. To Before you go to that, I wanna, I wanna make sure because this is important to the rest of it. You prayed something to God as you were in that moment, yeah. in that place where the other boyfriend, you're this back burner girl and you're trying to figure it out. Tell, tell us yeah. about what you prayed for. So at that time, it was like the end of our relationship. We had like broken up once, gotten back together. And I, something just like clicked. I was, I was, I'm worth more than this. Like I'm a, I'm good to you. I treat you well. Like I, I was raised to be a lady, although I didn't act like a lady a lot. Um, but I was, I was being a lady. Um, but he wasn't being really good to me. Uh, didn't treat me well. And I remember crying in my car one night after probably like the hundredth fight. Um, and I sat at the stoplight on Evergreen, like as a train was going by, I was stuck with a train. And I just remember slumped over my steering wheel, like bawling, sobbing, like, God, if he's the one that I'm supposed to be with, like, tell me, give me a sign. And if not, like, please bring a godly man into my life that will show me, like, like what my worth is. Like, I, I just can't. There has to be a guy out there that's better than this. Like, there has to be a guy that's going to treat me better than this. Um, and so, yeah, I went with my friend to, to this, his brother's house, and uh, we were hanging out, and we were locked out of the apartment because the guy that owned the house, his girlfriend was crazy and locked him out of the house. And along came Pat, and I remember not really thinking much. My headspace was not in the dating game at all, was not looking for anything else, was ready to be a nun and celibate. Like, I did not want a relationship. And here comes Pat, and he's like, why are we not in the house? And decided to, like, scale the side of the apartment complex and then, like, stood on the balcony and, like, broke into the apartment and let us all in. And I remember thinking, dang, he can climb fast. <laughs> So Guys, <laughs> learn how to climb fast. I, I, That's my redneck girl. Like, was oh, he's the best. So, actually, not. I just thought, man, this kid can climb. So we went in there, um, and he was like, so when his girlfriend gets back, just tell her that you're with me. And I'm like, dude, I do not know you, and I do not need your help. And he he's like, no, you haven't met her. She's crazy. And I'm like, well, you haven't met me, so <laughs> we'll see how this goes. And she came in, and of course, profanities were thrown, and um, she's like, who are you? And I was like, well, my name's Jen, who are you? <laughs> and she's like, well, this is my house. And I was like, well, I'm sitting on your couch. <laughs> so she's like, I like you. <laughs> and so we became friends. Um, and he was just like, jaw dropped, like, no one has ever gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with this girl. And I was like, okay, please, geez. I've seen this girl who was like 100 and probably 60 pounds, five foot eight, run guys that are pushing 300 out of a room, Yeah, mind you. Okay. She's crazy. But anyways, he was just like, dang, like never seen a girl go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. So, that so was, you're, you're, you think yeah. it's pretty cool that he climbs the side of the house. He's amazed that you're so tough. Right. Meanwhile, what ensues from there is, a, is several weeks of Pat basically chasing you down, right? right which I Hanging out no with your mom, like. Yeah, so, so we talked that night. I didn't think anything of it. I actually did not remember his name. Uh, the friend from work was like, hey, Pat wants to hang out again. Pat wants to hang out with, and I didn't want to be rude. So it was like, uh, who's Pat? 
And he's like, you know, the guy. And I was like, the kid that climbed the balcony? Like, that one? And he's like, yeah, that one. And I was like, um, cool, we can hang out again. Like, I'd love to hang out. And so, yeah, he really pursued me for a long time. Like, would leave flowers on my car and notes. And I don't know, he, like, literally was the sweetest guy. Pat's got game. And I... <laughs> I broke him. Like, I was like, ew. <laughs> I, like, cute, but ew. Like, and he hung out with my mom until I got off work, and I thought that was really weird, but she loved him and was like, you need to marry this guy. He's awesome. So, Which did eventually happen, but first you all got pregnant, and a, a, uh, another instance of sort of your mom using sort of the God shame thing on you. You experienced some of that. Absolutely. Tell us about that. So um, we met in like June, July, dated. Um, I basically moved in with him because that's, I guess, in my mind, a way out of my house. Um, and then we found out in December, right before Christmas, that I was pregnant. Um, Mind you, I already had a ring. She was, that was her Christmas present that year. I was going to ask her to marry me. Um, and so her parents were, they knew about this. They had actually, the diamond in her ring is one of her grandma's diamonds that I had taken and had set into the ring. The one that's watching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, <one>. ew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there I was at almost 21 years old, pregnant with our first child and now, um, going to be a bride, obviously, because that was my, my first thought, like, we're going to get married, I'm going to do this right, and then, oops, I now have a kid, but I want, I want a baby too, and I always wanted to be a mom, so I was like, bonus, it's all just happening at once, um, but my mom didn't talk to me for two weeks, um, basically said that, like, I was having a bastard child out of wedlock, mm -hmm. and that God, I, which is, it, it's just so weird to me, not having that upbringing, that that's really how she felt God saw me. Mm. So you get married, and you actually both kind of find the Lord and start going in that direction mm -hmm. to the point where Pat's working, setting up, tearing down at the Washougal campus of, of a church in town, um, and you guys are kind of going in that direction. So tell me about kind of where, where faith sort of started for you, and, and as you're married and you're kind of moving in that direction, how did that happen? So uh, my sister and her husband at the time were attending a church in Vancouver, and they had been pursuing me to go for some time, and I was, you know, working 60, 70 hours a week, super busy, and my thought was Sundays is like my one day of the week that I don't have to work. Um, so that was the last thing on my plate to do, but eventually, you know, with them helping persuade Jenny, we started going and attending, and we were baptized and, you know, once I got a little taste of it, it was just, I've never seen people who were happy, who just cared about each other, who were there for each other in any other walk of my life than I saw in that time period and just grabbed hold of it and got really involved um, with anything and everything they needed. Um, you know. And at the time you're working, what, 60, 70, 80 hours a week? And on Sundays, you're, you're at the church and you're doing whatever. And, and that's kind of where the, your life is right now. You feel like you're being a good father, good husband, all the rest of that. But meanwhile, that's not where you were at the time. And, and before we get into this part of it, I just want to, those of you who are in here, you know, this is, this is family talk, okay? Um, 
uh, especially you young people, Jen and Pat's kids aren't in, in the service right now, and we're not really wanting people to share with their kids what they're sharing now. So just please respect that. Um, but that's not where you are, and so tell us what happened. So for me, I was really on fire for Jesus. I got it. It instantly felt like freedom. It felt like joy beyond anything that I've ever felt in my life. Um, I just had my daughter. We were baptized together, actually, um, and that wasn't planned. Like, it was a spontaneous baptism, and I didn't realize he got in line right behind me. And so they said, well, do you guys want to be baptized together? So for us, that, or for me, I guess I won't speak for Pat, it was very symbolic of our marriage. Like, we are now being baptized together and our marriage. And it, not that we didn't take our marriage as a, it was a, a pretty religious ceremony. Um, and we did premarital counseling through a pastor. But that for me was like solidification of we're in this together. Like we're walking with Christ together. Um, but then the loneliness set in, I really feel like the enemy was just trying to remind me how he wasn't there. All those feelings of not feeling worthy um, and lonely and isolated. Um, he would come home, and I know now, like, he was just exhausted. Like, that's the first year of marriage, you're exhausted. We had a one-year-old at home. It was the first time him and I had ever been on our own um, in our apartment, and I spent a lot of time there with my one-year-old not having any adult communication. Like, I had nobody. Um, and the little bit that I did always revolved around my daughter. So it was like never anything to do with me or my feelings or my life. Like it was all centered around my daughter. And then when he came home, he was exhausted. And I was so lonely and isolated. I just wanted to feel loved on. Like I wanted to feel like someone cared or wanted to be around me. And it really wasn't Pat's fault. But in the time, I really put a lot of the blame on him because I felt like, well, if you were here, like, things would have been different. And so what happened? So um, at some point, I rationalized that I would find comfort in another man um, who is actually a friend of Pat's. Um, and that affair went on for about a month. Um, and he kept rationalizing to me how you know, I do all this stuff, and so, like, you should be happy, and if this makes you happy. So it was a lot of very intentional, like, grooming to stay in this relationship, and at some point, I just dropped on my knees and prayed to the Lord, and I was like, I, I can't do this. Like, this is going to tear apart my family, and I can't look at a man that has always treated me with respect and dignity and love. I can't continue to pursue this relationship. Like, this is not what I wanted for my life. And I know this is not what God wanted for my life. And so he came home um, from working out of town and I had to confess to him what was going on and that I broke off the relationship and that I don't know how you're going to forgive me, but I hope you can. And I'm, I'm so sorry. Um, and so yeah. when, when you confess the affair to Pat, I want to, I want to take us back to that time when you had prayed that prayer to bring you somebody. And you kind of expressed to me that you felt like God had answered that prayer and that you'd sort of defiled what God had answered. Tell us, tell us how that made you feel. Absolutely. That was like the hardest part. In fact, even expressing that again to David yesterday, I was like in tears because 
the hardest part of that sin was knowing that this is going to take Pat away from God. Like, I knew that instantly. I knew that. And I, I was like, he's going to be so broken, and it's my fault. Like, I made this choice to sin, and it's going to take him away from the Lord. Like, if our marriage doesn't work, I know he'll find somebody else, and God has somebody else for him, but I don't think he'll walk with the Lord. And, and that just, it killed me. Um, that I could do that to a man that was so kind to me. And it did, and it did make you, A, feel betrayed, but not just by her, kind of by the faith as well, and you, and you walked away, right? Tell us about, about that. Yeah, I was, you know, like I said, I was on fire um, for the Lord, and when this all happened, it was actually like late Saturday going into Sunday morning when I found out about all this, and I just like always, time to go to church. And 5 a.m., go pick up the truck and the trailer, had to do, do setup. And I get about three quarters of the way through setup, and I go over to talk to the pastor and kind of tell him what's going on. And at that point was when I, you know, kind of broke down and lost it. Um, and by about three quarters of the way through service, I got my daughter, and I was done with this. I was like, how dare you do this to me after I've been doing all of this for you and sacrificing the one day of the week that I have that I could have been spending with my family. And because I was, you know, from six o'clock in the morning until one, two o'clock in the afternoon at church, taking care of cleaning afterwards. Um, and I felt completely betrayed and... You felt like, like God had betrayed you. Yes, I totally felt like God betrayed me, and, you know, I was doing all this serving and all this work, and this is how you repay me with this? Yeah. And so in, in the marriage at this time, you have Jennifer, who's unable to forgive herself for putting you in that position. You, who feels betrayed by your wife, who you, who you feel like you've poured your life out for, and by God, who you feel like you've poured your life out for, and you've decided to stay together, but not really to forgive, just to sort of push forward, um, and, and the sin cycle is sort of still going, because she's not really forgiven or made into a full person back from that, and you're still completely broken, and so you guys start to become enemies. Is that, uh, Jennifer, tell me about that. Yeah, I would say that, um, and, and rightfully so, like, I felt so deserving of that treatment. Like, I pushed him to the limit, like, and this was my punishment. And we fought and fought and fought and fought hard. Um, and even after I decided to go back to church and I was repent, repenting for my sins, which by the way, I did pretty immediately. Like I was still walking with the Lord through all this. So I was in, I was repenting, I was praying, I was asking him for forgiveness. I had forgiven myself. And at some point in, in one of our many fights, um, I just said, I know you can't forgive me right now. And you have every reason biblically and otherwise to not forgive me. But if you can't forgive me because I've forgiven myself and the, and the Lord's forgiven me, you need to let me go. Like, you need to divorce me and, and we need to let each other go. And I remember us like walking around the house and dividing up 
property and like, well, we'll still be friends for our kids and try to raise our kids. And it was a weird time, I think, like just the clarity of it all, like how we were going to do it. We weren't going to tell our family ahead of time. Like it would just be done. We didn't want the hassle of opinions. Um, Our church had already basically like denied both of us. Um, They weren't really walking through the process with me. This is all me doing it on my own, just grabbing a Bible um, I had confessed many times to many people at the church we were attending to, and they were like, we're praying for you. Good luck with that. Good luck with it. Like, it was really not a, let's get you into counseling, let's, how can we help you, right. how can we help your family? It was, I'm praying for you. And so one of the things to this day that stuck with me is, like, intentionality in prayer. Like, when you say you're praying for someone like lay a hand on them and pray or write it down or do something. Let them know that you are genuinely praying for them because that was the most wounding thing ever in my life to be going through something and be so honest about it. And like, I know I messed up, but I need help. And I don't, I need someone that knows more than I do or that's walking with the Lord deeper than I am to come alongside me and help me through this. Yeah. That wasn't happening. You needed, you needed some discipline, and you just weren't getting that. Absolutely. And there was no accountability at the time because you weren't really going to church and so on. But let's talk about the road back. Pat, you, um, you decided that you would go ahead and, and give it a shot again. Enough pressure. I know Jen can be uh, persuasive. Is that a good way to put that? Um, Verbally repetitive. Verbally repetitive, yeah. She's not a nag. She's verbally repetitive. Um, There's a sign in our house that says that. I'm not a nag. I'm verbally repetitive. I I swear to you. She's verbally repetitive. Um, All this stuff still hasn't been dealt with, but you decide to start going back to church, and then you go to a life group, and, and you see kind of the vulnerability that people have doing kind of what you're doing right now, except in front of a smaller group. Um, and how did that affect you to see that? Well, I, uh, you know, I started, you know, attending church again, and I was there because we had talked, and I figured it would appease her to an extent to kind of calm the waters at home if I started going. I was going, but I was not attending. I was there, but I wasn't there. Um, I found every excuse to help with security and walk around outside, um, you know, do this, do that, you know, run into somebody and have a conversation out in the lobby. Um, Because I really just, my, you know, still my heart was, I, this is all for naught, you know, like this is not, you know, I went through this before I did this, I know what's going to happen. And... And then she got on me about, you know, well, you know, I'm go- you're going to church again. You know, why don't you come and attend a life group? And I'm like, I give you one day a week, okay? Like, that's enough. Um, and finally, after some time, she convinced me to come to life group. And I showed up to life group. And I saw a difference in people um, that I've never seen before, the vulnerable, you know, the vulnerability and the way people, you know, opened up and expressed to each other their feelings and how they were, you know, the situations they were going through. And I couldn't believe some of the things people were talking about. I was like, how could you talk about that in front of other people, you know? Um, And it was, you know, the the big turning point for me was um, actually Mr. These guys right down here in the front. Um, I got to go through cancer with Lyle. 
and to see the way he um, handled it and the way he laid things out there. And I remember going to a worship night at the old Axe building down in Washougal. And we all came around and we laid hands on Lyle and it felt like I was supposed to be there for this moment. Um, and it felt like that was, that was the point when, you know, I decided, you know, I'm going to let, I'm going to let you back in. Um, you know, and I don't, you know, and I was, don't you do it to me again. Um, and around that same time, I remember talking to David one day and I was like, you know, I prayed, you know, we were praying and I was just trying to get my head wrapped around, um, having a relationship with him again. And now with a different mindset and a mentality of what an actual relationship with Jesus is. Um, because I had seen people who I considered really strong individuals break down and reveal things and say things that I, I never do that. You know, I don't want to talk to six, seven, eight other people and tell them something that I did wrong. Let, you're going to sit here and our life group at the time was, what, 20-plus? Probably, yeah. Um, and we had, you know, to see people do this and break down and be able to do this, you know, it kind of gave me that, well, you know, it's okay to do that. It's okay to be open about things. And But rebuilding that, you know, letting God in. And then he took over in a lot of different spots in my life. And he just started putting people there that I needed in the situations and the different things I was struggling with and going through. Um, and, you know, I'm just thankful that yeah. the right people were there at the right time. And, you know, the one who did that was God. Let's talk about STEPS for a second. And for those of you who don't know, STEPS is a program that um, was run by uh, John and Sherry Ware. As most of you know, John uh, passed away very recently, and it's a great loss to us. Um, but you, before that, you both got the opportunity to go through that, and John mentored you through steps. Tell me about how that transformed your life. That was one of the hardest things I've ever done, going through steps. And by the grace of God and by some amazing people in John and Sherry, that are, have blessed more people than I've ever seen. Um, you know, they just, it allowed you, like, going through the STEPS program, it, it opened your eyes to so many things and put so many things together that you would never think that this thing that happened to you when you were seven, eight years old affected you at 18, 19, 20, um, and even till now, the way you look at things or the way you react to things. And Sherry back there, she is the most amazing person to connect in the dots. Like, I've never seen anything like it. Um, but they were, you know, just being there and opening themselves up and letting, letting me have the time and giving me the grace to take my time at it and open up a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. You know, I mean, if it wasn't for John... And some of the talks that we had, I would not be sitting here in front of you guys all right now. I've been nervous as can be the last four days. I haven't been sleeping. I don't really, haven't really been wanting to eat, um, thinking about today. Um, 
but you're doing awesome. <laughs> Just like I told you you would. So, and Jen, you went through, if you want to say anything about steps, I mean, obviously the sin cycles that you had in your life, the root problems, obviously so many things that were affected there. Do you want to? I just, I just want to say like, um, you know, even before steps there, there, I won't mention names, but there's a gal that's here that I've known since the beginning of coming to our church. And she's spent so many times, um, praying with me after service um, and faithfully sends me encouragement weekly, um, if not daily, and I really don't give her the credit that she deserves, but um, thank you. You know who you are. Um, if it weren't for people like her and Sherry and many others here that continue to press into us and, and pull us back towards Jesus, um, we, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be married, guys. Like, we wouldn't be raising children, like we didn't grow up in the church. Our children are now church kids and it freaks me out because I don't know how to raise church kids because I wasn't one. Um, They're totally church kids. So, (laughs) right, have you met them? Sorry, still heathens. Um, But if it weren't for steps class and and Sherry, like pinpointing down really my, some of my roots, like helping me get to the meat of it, like I was so angry so angry, and so, and I'm sorry if that anger has projected on many people here, I'm sure, um, and I'm hard to love, and I know that. I wasn't going to say anything. And I'm, but... I'm loud and, <laughs> and can be very bitter, but the root of it was that anger, and I think releasing that and releasing that to God and really laying that at his feet transformed me, and I know that Pat said on many occasions how different I am and how God has transformed that. And to me, that's the biggest encouragement is that he sees it. Yeah. And I think seeing it in you changed him. Yeah. Yeah, I think. And, and for those of you who've known Jen for, for very long, you've seen it too and, and what God has done. I mean, here's the thing. God's restored your family. There is forgiveness now. There is a moving forward. There is trust. There is all these things that just never could have come from anything but Jesus. I mean, ultimately, this story is about God. Yeah. The story is about Jesus and, and calling you to himself and saving you and, and being with you and, and, and making sure that, that whatever happened, with all our mess and whatever, that, that he continued to work in you. And so, I mean, there's nothing that's quite so powerful and amazing and beautiful as knowing that you're in a story that you can clearly look to and see that Jesus Christ is the hero and the center of that story. Um, and that's been the life that you guys have been living once at a time. I know that you would probably say that you've got it all figured out now, right? Is that right? No, absolutely <laughs> uh, not. No, I mean, we're still walking through it, right? And we're still all walking through the mess together, but, but it's together. And, and people like John and Sherry and people like uh, yeah, the Gaddens here and, and so many others in this show. I'm not going to start naming names. It'd be just about everybody. You know, we've either been in life group together or, or, or something like Steps. And, and honestly... If you guys don't understand the power of what a life group can do in your life, please get in a life group. It is, it is the difference between something that is, is of course, sort of surfacy and something that is real meat. Um, so if you're not in one, Brandy and Catherine, they're sitting over here, good-looking couple over here. Um, talk to them after church. Get into a life group. It is, it is life-changing. Um, what do you guys want to say to anybody out here, just kind of his final parting thoughts um, you know, about 
what the Lord has, has done for you and that, that you want to tell them about that, that you think God might do for them. Um, but parting thoughts. I'll let Pat go first because <laughs> he loves it when I put him on the spot. You know, my big one through, you know, this was, you know, forgiveness. And, mm. you know, I, I took a situation that was really bad. And I spent, what, eight years? Almost nine years doing everything I could to make it worse. Um, because I couldn't forgive. Um, nor forget, you know. And so anytime something would happen, that was my fallback. That was my crutch I went to because I had this thing that I could use against her. Um, but the forgiving, you know, like there, you know, if Jesus can forgive us for all the things that we've done, and, you know, if you're perfect, raise your hand, you know. Um, Patrick's in the back like, um, so, but if he can forgive us for all of our indiscretions and all of our mistakes, and then we do it again and he forgives us again, you know, because we're not perfect, then Mm. can't we forgive somebody for a mistake, whether it's big, small, or otherwise, you know, I was raised where anything worth anything's worth fighting for and worth working for, and, you know, if you give up after, you know, one thing, whether it's big, small, or otherwise, you're never going to get to see the end of the story that God has written for you. You know, you'll find a different story, but it's not the one he's writing for you right now. You know, that's why it's, you fight for things, and you forgive things, and you go to people, you know, go and ask your brothers and sisters. You know, if you need help with something, or you're battling with something, find somebody and lean on them. You know, opening up to people is not an easy thing. It's really not an easy thing for me. Um, But I'm getting better at it. Mm -hmm. I'm practicing it. Um, You know, and just, you know, lean on the people around you. You know, that's what God puts us in this this family for, is this group of people here, they're family members, you know. Um, And I know so many of them out here who would, you know, give you the shirt off their back if that's what you needed to in that moment. The belly shirt. Um, (laughs) Pat's a preacher, man. That was awesome. Good for you. Um, Yeah, absolutely. These are great words. Jen? I would just say that the fear of confessing your sin and repenting is the most gut-wrenching experience, but on the other side of it, there's so much beauty Um, And I would say to anyone that is still suffering through hiding that sin or living through it, like, press in, guys. Like, release it. Really, truly release it. um, And move forward into the freedom that Christ has for you. Like, don't don't keep holding it in. um, And don't let it take root and grow bad fruit. That man should be on a t-shirt. Let me just say, Lyle, hook me up. Um, like really don't let that bitterness keep growing Um, and also don't be afraid to be rejected like I lived a long time feeling fear of not being judged and not fitting in and not being a good Christian don't be afraid of that because 
for every one bad experience, and believe me, I've had more than one in churches, um, there's 20 other good ones. And I would say that my primary focus now, I think for both of us, is focusing on that good that God has mm. every single day um, in the hearts of every one of you. Mm. So just be like, not afraid. Yeah. You guys are a good example of those who will find the joy of the Lord even in a difficult time. Um, and I appreciate that in you. There was a verse this morning. It was actually just the verse of the day on Bible Gateways. But I will sing of your power. Yes. I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. For you have been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. And I don't know why, but it just reminded me of your story and, and the power of God, the mercy of God, and that he's, that he's our refuge in, in all of this stuff. All those years that each of you are just holding on for dear life, and, and yet we get to see the beauty that God works all things together for good, and you have two beautiful children that are church kids now and whatever, even though there's a very broken story in so many ways, God has put these pieces together and, and has caused you to be able to love each other in a way that's supernatural, in my opinion. So thank you, guys. Give them a hand. If I could get the, the uh, offering to come on up front while I'm chatting. You know, like this is, it's all of us, right? At some level, and this, and this probably won't be the last one you hear. We'll probably do this from time to time to help, to help connect us to the scripture that we're le- reading and learning. But Pat and Jen are a story of true uh, disaster and yet true redemption. Um, they've got everything from the death of children in their family to, to adultery to uh, you know, lack of forgiveness to walking away from the Lord, walking to the Lord, all these things. And this is, all, this is the story of our lives in so many ways. Maybe not exactly the same, but all of us have walked through this type of thing. You guys can go ahead and start passing those while, while I'm talking. Um, all of us have walked through this type of thing. And... God has been so faithful, and so many of you have these stories, and so many of you are building your stories right now and seeing God work, but you're in the middle of it, you know? Let's not forget there were seven, eight, nine years of their story where we didn't know what the end was going to be, and when I first met Pat and Jen, they were in the middle of their story. This part of it that we talked about today where they come back and the redemption and the joy and all of that, that wasn't part of the story yet. It took you, the people of this church. It took John and Sherry. It took uh, Randy and Catherine. It took a million people uh, a, a hundred different times at a, at a bunch of different events and the praying and the loving and, and so on to see God work. And, and so I want this story not just to be about Pat and Jen, um, but, then, but then to be about Christ's church and how he uses his body to work in lives. And that what you're doing, as simple as the people who are just passing stuff out, to the people who are setting stuff up, to the people who are teaching or doing whatever, all of it works together for this because ultimately the story is about Jesus. It's ultimately that he's the center of the story, that he's the one we want to make. We want to diminish and let him increase. And that's what we want to see happen here in Camus. That's what we see happen in our ministries, our 30 churches in the Philippines, uh, the the church uh, group up in Alaska, uh, the church down in Honduras, and all the places that we minister. We want to see 
much made of the name of Jesus Christ. And Pat and Jen, and, I, and it may seem like, oh, I just heard a story or whatever, but I'm telling you, you have no idea how much it took for this family to come up and share with you the most intimate details of their lives. And I'm telling you, the reason they did it, I promise you it was not because they wanted to get in front of people. The reason they did it is because they love you. And they're hoping that their story can inspire you to draw closer to your God. Well, thanks for listening to that Acts Church sermon. We hope you got a lot out of it. If you did, we'd love it if you would comment or uh, give us a review or give the track a like. Uh, It really means a lot to us to hear back from people who have um, heard these sermons and have been impacted by it. So share your story with us. Share what is happening in your life um, that this is speaking into. And remember, you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast or through SoundCloud so that you can get all of our releases as soon as they come out. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with more next week.